If you have a child with type 1 diabetes, whether they were diagnosed five days ago or five years ago, you continue to have questions. These are the questions about the emotional side of living with diabetes, the questions about how to parent diabetes. I'm Joanne Robb, a psychotherapist and fellow T1D mom, and I've been parenting diabetes for almost 15 years. In this podcast, I'm here to answer your questions about the emotional and relational challenges that come with being a caregiver for a child with type 1 diabetes. Before we dive in, I have to remind you that I'm not a doctor and nothing that I offer here should be considered medical advice. If you want to make any changes to the way you or your child is managing their type 1, please be sure to check in with your doctor or medical team. Let's get started. Hi, listeners. I wanted to introduce this podcast because it's the first time I've had a couple come on to the podcast to talk through the kinds of conflicts that they're having around managing their son's diabetes. So in this case, this couple, Colleen and Wesley, are talking about the conflict that they're having around food choices and how that unfolds in their family. I want to name that this is a messier podcast episode than many of them are, because a lot of different issues come in, as often happens when you have more than one person talking. If I'm dealing with a couple, for example, as a therapist, a lot can come in. So you're going to see the real life messiness that can come up when we're trying to navigate our way with our partner and there's conflict around diabetes. I also want to name that after the session was over, I realized that I should have directed this couple to the work of Ellen Satter, um, because she has some beautiful work that she's done on how to effectively feed your child. And so I direct you um, to that work so that you can take a look at it. If you're challenged in how you're making decisions about feeding your T1D or other children, I hope you enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome to the show. Um, why don't you introduce yourself and your T1D kid and your family, because there are two of you here today, and we can see what your question is. Okay, my name is Colleen. Uh, my son is Jacob. He is almost 12 years old, and he was diagnosed when he was six, um, so about five and a half, half years ago. Mm-hmm. Great. And with me, I have my husband. Hello, I'm Colleen's husband, and I've been going through this journey with her the whole time. Uh-huh. And what's your name? Oh, Wesley. Sorry. <laughs> Hi, Wesley. And you're both here because it sounds like you have a question about your relationship when it comes to diabetes. Yes? Yes. Yeah. Great. Let um, me hear what's going on. Yeah. We've been married 14 years. Um, and so my question is, when it comes to our son's diet, mm-hmm. um, going grocery shopping, let's say I am very lenient on what I buy, um, like cereals, things that probably aren't that healthy for mm-hmm. a type one diabetic. Cause we know cereals spike when I bring home ice cream, when I bring home kind of all the bad stuff, I, um, feel attacked and I feel like I get yelled at, okay. um based on the foods that I buy and Wesley he if you want to share your feelings he's a little bit more stricter than I Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. I I just I mean we know the downside of sugary foods uh frosty pebbles or frosted flakes or Mm -hmm. you know all these things and and the long-term effects is what my concern is you know I mean it's a short-term um 
you know, treat or whatever, but like the long-term effects is what bothers me the most. Um, not only just because we have a type one child, but just like in diet in general as like mm -hmm. a man. Mm -hmm. And do you have any other kids? You two? Yeah. We do. We have a daughter who is almost 10, okay. uh, non-diagnosed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So she's okay. also been on the journey with us. Yep. Of course. <laughs> um, um, yeah. So you're naming two different issues here. Um, one is about food and eating and how to feed our T1D kids in particular, but you have another child too. And I have a feeling that you're thinking like what's quote unquote healthy. Food has mm -hmm. given him power. Mm -hmm. So she becomes a short order cook mm -hmm. and she'll cook two or three different dinners. Mm -hmm. So there'll be the dinner that we eat and then the dinner that she'll cook for him that'll go, I don't like. And then she'll recook something else sometimes. Mm -hmm. That's like another topic now. Yeah. <laughs> uh -huh. Well, it actually, it could be a little the same, although it, I, I haven't really addressed that many places. But um, I'm wondering, did that start post-diabetes or was he yes. always like that? Yes. Post he used to eat carrots and peas and all mm -hmm. of that stuff. And then mm -hmm. um, I think once we started giving him the shots and then we're like, hey, we gave you the shot. You need to eat this. And he's like, I don't like this. I want that. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, the insulin's hitting, he's going down, you got to mm -hmm. give him something. And it, is he on a pump now? Yeah. Uh -huh. So it's no longer quite the same issue because you could dose a little later, dose half and dose the other half sure. or something. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then Wesley, can you tell me when you say we know the downside of sugary food, what do you mean by that? Well, like the long-term effects. So Colleen hasn't shared this, but like she has an aunt that's type one mm -hmm. and um, she's in kidney failure. Mm -hmm. um, my cousin has a wife who's type one and she's in her forties and she has, I think she has kidney intestinal failure and other things as a result of it. Mm -hmm. um, when, when you're like the highs. Yeah, the highs, but the, the long-term effects okay. of constantly being high. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Like I'm looking at that, you know. Okay. All right. I'm getting a really full picture here. <laughs> um, and I, I, as I am more uh, short term, you know, I see Jacob lost a little bit of his childhood when he was diagnosed because he can't just go eat a lollipop like mm -hmm. all the other kids. Mm -hmm. um, and I want him to be quote unquote normal. Mm -hmm. I don't want to have him to have to deal with all that extras. Mm -hmm. So I do try to appease him and I I do try to cater to him and get what he likes. So that's kind of where, mm -hmm. where I'm coming from. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Here we are. I love this. I'm not sure I can untangle all this in one episode. Yeah. But let's, let's think about the issues that are coming up. So one is about food and eating. No. Right. One very big bucket. Let's just call that a bucket because there are a number of different issues in that bucket. One is sugar cereal and not sugar cereal. One is they held hostage to his diet. Right. And how diabetes plays into that. Another bucket is the um, I'm going to call it conflict. I'm happy to use a different word if you guys come up with one that comes up between the two of you. Right. Because you have different approaches. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the third one I'm going to say is the challenge that each of you has inside um, about your own anxiety. So Wesley, your anxiety is super legitimate because you have even more history in your family. So I, I want to address the anxieties, 
but it's about like what the horrible complications can be of type one, right? And Colleen, your anxiety is about, I want my baby to have a normal life and he got derailed from having that normal life. So I want to make it as good for him as possible. Right. Does it sound yeah. like I have all the parts? Yep. Yeah. That's okay. it. <laughs> so I want to start actually with the third bucket, which is the anxiety. Um, so there are a few pieces that I want to name. The first piece is I, I had someone else on the show at one point. Um, I'd have to look up which episode it was, but I had someone else who had a lot of family history of really badly managed diabetes and some very severe complications, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that puts you in a very rare, like you're in this very rare group, um, but it also, of course, raises your anxiety. Mm -hmm. So what I want you to know is that the risk of those kinds of complicated, those very severe complications are very, very rare. So there was a study that was done decades ago in the transition actually from the older insulins to um, multiple daily injections. And what they found is that people who had had diabetes for 30 years, like back when my father was diagnosed, okay. so my dad has type one, was diagnosed when he was 19 and he's now, I don't know, in his late seventies. Um, back when he was diagnosed, risk for all those scary things, kidney failure, eye disease, amputation was really high. It was like 30%. If you had had diabetes for 30 years back when he was diagnosed. If you fast forward to today, the studies show that the risk of those things is down to between one and 5%. So you're in a really, really rare category and that's on MDI, right? And now your kid's on a pump. Now I will name that the needle hasn't moved that much on, um, last I looked at the data, the needle hasn't moved that much on average A1Cs, even on CGMs. But the data, I don't know, I haven't looked at the data since closed loop really came into it. I don't know if your son is on closed loop. He is yeah. Omnipod 5. Uh -huh. So we have a trial through Stanford, so yeah. Uh-huh, okay. Yeah. So what I wanna name is that there are still complications of diabetes, but, but what I have seen in older adult folks who I've worked with is that feels on par to me, now this is anecdotal, with um, you know aging. <laughs> it's just that this is the weak spot in their bodies. So that's not data-driven, I wanna name that. But I do know from a data place that those really, really scary things are just not high risk anymore, mm -hmm. right? So it makes sense that you feel super worried because you have a lot of evidence that it is real. There's one person in this space, his name is Bill Polanski, I think, and he runs an institute called um, the Behavioral Diabetes Institute. He wrote a book on diabetes burnout. And what he says is well-managed well diabetes is a symptom of nothing, hmm. right? And, and the question then becomes what's well-managed? And I think that this is, I, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a researcher, I can't easily answer that question. But what I do know is that there is variation in everybody. So I think in today's world, one of the downsides of having CGM technology, weirdly, is that we're always looking. And if it's not flat, we have some idea it should be flat. And that's not real. So I don't know, I want to say I'm going to pause because I'm just addressing your anxiety and I want to see what that, how any and all of that lands for you. No, I, I'm a data-driven person. So like some of the things that you've approached have 
kind of helped with it a little bit. I mean, yeah. I, I read, so right when he was diagnosed, we got a book and it was, was it chasing, what was the one? Destiny, something with destiny. Yeah. And in like one of the facts, it was written like, let's say 2007, it was before CGM technology came out. And like one of the things, it was like a data that he puts in there. And like it stuck in my head because I, I read too. You can't see my nightstand, but I got probably six books or seven books over there. Um, is that and that when he wrote the book, and maybe you, you did address it, but when he wrote the book, is like uh, children that are diagnosed before the age of eight have a, a life expectancy of 45. And that was what <laughs> it's in the book. And I was like, do I tell my kid to save for retirement? Like, no. You know, tech, and so that was something that's always stuck in my head. But now you've thrown something else out there. Yeah, I don't think that's true. Okay. Um, so, so this is a piece of data that I'm not a hundred percent sure of, and I actually recently was in a conversation with someone about it. But I think life expectancy for people with type one is either—I don't know which one is correct here—is either basically the same, okay, or maybe a few years shorter. Okay. But that 45, that must have been for people who were diagnosed right after insulin was developed. Seriously. Okay. Yeah, that that's just flat out terrifyingly wrong. No, oh, yeah, it was. I, <laughs> like I read it and I was just, I was on a floor reading it and I was just like, oh my God, what do I do? Like I walked out of the room. Um, yeah. The yeah. other thing though, like, is like the catering to him part of it? Yes, we're getting yeah. to that. Yeah, yeah, we'll get to yeah. that. Yeah, do you want me to get to that? Type one person that I'm going to throw out there that you don't know about yet. Okay, uh, okay, let's talk about the catering to him thing. Yeah. So first, I'll start with a story. So I don't know how well you guys know me. I have three kids, and two of them have type one. I have a 24 year old today, yay, Aww. happy birthday, who was diagnosed at nine, and a 15 year old diagnosed through trial net at four. When my son was diagnosed, and I have one in the middle who doesn't have type one. Uh, lucky her. When my son was diagnosed, I got on the phone with a bunch of other parents to say, like, what do, like, what do I do about this? And one parent said, if you treat him like you would always treat him and like you treat everyone else and you set good chores and you have good limits, he will be fine, which is such an interesting thing to say. Um, but what I want to name is, as a therapist, what I know developmentally is it's very important for us to be the people in control, not our children. Mm -hmm. The reason for that is because our kids are always feeling for the boundaries. They always want to know where they are, where are the boundaries. And honestly, if they don't, if they aren't quite sure where the boundaries are, or if they have too much control, life is not as safe feeling for them, right? They want control. They think they want control. But like, let's take an example that everyone can get on board with. If your two-year-old doesn't have a nice bedtime or a good sleep routine, we all know what that looks like. They turn kind of monstrous, right? But it's not just because of loss of sleep. It's because it, imagine how frightening it is for a two-year-old to not have parents who can get them contained, right? And that continues to be true. So our job with our children, and I'm thinking about teenagers in particular, is to hold boundaries tight. Our teenage children, and your son is bordering on this, right? He's 11, almost 12. So he's a tween, right? So it's going to get harder. Our job with our teenage children is to hold the boundaries tight as they shake them really hard because they want to be sure that you mean it, right? And this is really tough. So um, I actually have, so I've been thinking like how this applies to you. 
Um, I have a new free offering called the Sweet Talk Snack Course. We're going to take a quick break and be back with more answers. One of the hardest things about diabetes is the food. Your kid has to eat, but there's so many foods that send them high or are tricky to dose for. And at the same time, you don't want to restrict their food choices. You want them to be able to feel like every other kid. To help you navigate the many challenges of food and eating with type 1, I've created the Sweet Talk Snack Course, a free mini course that gives you six bite-sized lessons to support your T1D kid in having a healthy relationship with food and eating. Sign up for it at DiabetesSweetTalk.com. So Wesley, I feel like it addresses more of your concerns than Colleen, your concerns, but you can get online at DiabetesSweetTalk.com and register for it. It's a few emails that talk about food and eating. But one of the things I want to name is that we still want normal eating with our children. The snack course kind of doesn't address it in that way. The snack course talks more about like the exceptional foods, like the sugary cereal that many parents want to restrict. And, th- and there is a higher risk of eating disorders with type 1. And the root of eating disorders is restriction. Mm -hmm. You have a son, there's lower risk with boys than with girls to have eating disorders and boys still do develop eating disorders. And we want our children ultimately to have as normal a relationship to food as possible, Mm -hmm. which means they can eat anywhere, right? Think about it like that. If you're on a road trip and McDonald's is the only place, well, they can eat McDonald's Mm -hmm. and they can eat at grandma's house. If she serves fish, they can eat anywhere, right? That's the goal. So with that in mind, around the coddling behavior, I want you, Colleen, to think about what it would mean to create more safety for him, right? So that he's not in control so much. Like it looks good from his perspective, but my guess is he's still pushing to figure out where do they mean it and where do they not? And I think you really want to be in control as parents, not in a hard uh, fisted way, not at all. Um, And we can think about how to be collaborative with him about it. But like, for example, my daughter definitely has foods that she doesn't want to eat. And so what I've said to her is you get three foods that you choose to not eat. Other than that, you eat what's served. And she does not like it there. She, and as she's gotten older, she's gotten fussier, which is not okay. Um, And, and uh, a little bit more teeny, but not, but what you want to go for is if you always had a child who was fussy about food, like at two years old, they didn't eat 10,000 things. That's a different kind of kid. If you had a good eater, right. And was, had a wide variety would take up anything. Wesley, you said he ate his peas and carrots, then he can eat his peas and carrots now, right. Mm -hmm that everyone should be served the same thing. That means if, if you know that he'll eat mac and cheese, but that's not part of the meal, you make mac and cheese, everyone gets a little mac and cheese, he gets more mac and cheese, everyone gets peas and carrots, he gets fewer peas and carrots, but everybody eats the same thing if you're having a family meal. That actually will help encourage a wide variety of eating and will discourage eating disorder behavior. So I'm gonna pause there and Colleen, now I'm gonna turn to you and say, how's that for you? I, I can get on board with that. Choices are good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Giving him options. I think he, you know, we can, we definitely could do that. Mm-hmm. When you say choices are good, what are you referring to? What do you mean? Like food choices, you know, mm-hmm. like, um, like your top three. Oh, 
Uh-huh. Top three that you won't, that you choose to not eat. Yeah. Or uh-huh. other way around top three that you will eat. What's something that you will eat? Mm-hmm. Or no? I don't know. Is that more catering to him? Catering. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think if you think about it, you don't want your child to only eat three things. No, 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 no. Yeah. Yeah. What you want is a flexible eater, right? You want your child. Here's the thing. You want your kid to be able to go to college one day, right? And walk through the cafeteria and eat everything that's there, yeah. right? That's not just the dessert at the end of the line. You want him to be able to take from the salad bar, right? So if you have your eye on what you want for him, then you need to start making some adjustments. And mm-hmm. this is going to be hard, right? That's not going to be fun to make that change with him. So I think it would be a little bit of, um, you know, we're realizing that we want you to be a super flexible eater, that that's important. You know, when we want you to be able to go to your friends' houses and eat what they serve and not be the the kid who's so fussy that you can't do things in your life. We don't want that for you. So we're all going to eat the same meal, right? And yeah, we're going to have some things you like and some things you don't think that you like, but you don't know if you like it or not unless you try it. And so you can choose three foods for the next two months. My daughter did the strategy of changing what the foods were all the time. Um, you can choose for the next few months. We can change it in a few months, three foods that we will not serve you. But yeah. other than that, you're going to need to try everything that we put in front of you because it's really important. you be a flexible eater. It's going to make for a really richer life for you. Does that, does that, do you agree with that? Or, or you're like, no, because no, do definitely agree. I can just see it. At, how is it going to play out? I mean, Jacob's very stubborn. And he'll just, he'll just walk away. Give an example of last night. Chick-fil-A. Oh, we had (laughs) Chick-fil-A. Because he wanted it. So instead of having a homemade meal, she went out and got Mm Chick-fil-A. And then it came in and she didn't forget. I forgot forgot to say no pickles. pickles. So of course that pickles on, he wouldn't eat it. Big blow up, not eating it. This is terrible. Mm -hmm. Well, he didn't eat. He had French fries and and Chick-fil-A sauce. (laughs) Uh-huh. Okay. So, so he, in- he will just not eat mm-hmm. until nine o'clock at night when he's hungry and then have two pieces of toast with, before he goes to bed. Wait, 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 what kind of toast is it? Cinnamon, cinnamon. sugar. Mm-hmm. Toast. Mm-hmm. I so, grew up in a family where it was like, this is what we're eating. Uh-huh. And if you want it, then you can start. And like, uh-huh. I grew up in a very structured house. Uh-huh. One of the things I liked about her family, like when I met her and everything is they're uh-huh. very loving. They're very... Mm-hmm. Like great people, right? And like, and that's like what was very attractive. I'm like, she'd make a great mom one day. Is that she's like very loving. They're they're family oriented. Mm-hmm. I just came from very strict, structured. This is what we do, and you know, and so like that was very attractive. But now it's like driving me crazy because <laughs> my time is ten o'clock. <laughs> if you guys want to stay up past ten, I'm gonna go to bed. You can deal with putting the kids to bed. I, we go to bed. <laughs> so you guys might need more support. <laughs> right? <laughs> Truly. You might need a little more support here because yeah. you are, it sounds like you're having conflict. What I love though, that I hear, what I love is that you really can appreciate that you each care so deeply about your kids, right? So Wesley, I'm hearing you say that Colleen is a good loving mother, right? Yeah. And you know, you know that her accommodation comes from her deep desire to be warm and loving and have good connection with Jacob. You're a little conflict avoidant, Colleen, right? 
because you want it to stay peaceable with him, right? You want it to be good. And Colleen, you see in Wesley that, that you, Wesley, are anxious because you want to preserve Jacob's health, yeah. right? So I think it's really important that you can see what's so good in each other as the foundation for the discussions about partnering together to create appropriate changes for your family, right? So yeah. it might be too big a bite to say every night you're eating the same thing. So what's the baby step, right? What's the step to say, yeah, Jacob, we're realizing that you shouldn't have a separate meal. You know, well, you can have a separate meal two nights a week. I don't, I'm making this up. You yeah. guys are bright enough. You can think creatively about it. But, you know, it sounds like Colleen, you're going to need some support because the conflict with Jacob is, I'm suspecting, pretty dysregulating for you. And holding that line hard is going to be tough right? Mm -hmm. That's not going to be easy. That's why I think you might want some extra support, like a parent coach or a therapist who can work to help, you know, support you as you're putting that into place, if you decide to do it, right? Because that's a radical shift in your family. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> How does that all land for the two of you? I, yeah. yeah, no, it sounds good. We definitely, um, we know we need to come to agreement and then it's just like, how do we get there? <laughs> that's, mm -hmm. that's our hurdle, I mm -hmm. think. Agreement with each other, you mean? Yeah, and just get on board. Um, I know I being too, I guess, like catering to Jacob does throw a wrench into our relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I know that. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's hard for me to shift mm -hmm. so, yeah. so what's the fear Colin? i don't know i like i said in the beginning i i feel bad for him so that I, that's why i tried to overcompensate maybe yeah i think there's some fear there's some fear that if you set the limit hard something bad will happen either to him or to your relationship with him could be yeah yeah so I might think about what that fear is because that fear is driving the bus for you with him. I'm not saying between the two of you it is, but I'm saying in that issue it is, right? And and it's clouding your ability to come forward to like figure out what you guys want, right? Like you might be fine with having him have um, cinnamon sugar toast for dinner. That's mm -hmm. fine. That's a choice you get to make. You're his parent. Um, I can tell you like what the eating disorder world would say about eating, but I can't make those decisions for you. Right. But that's something the two of you have to decide together about what, what do you want to see? Like if you picture him at 18, when he leaves for college, what do you want to see? Knowing by the way, that it's going to go downhill, right? Like they're going to leave for college and they're going to eat a lot of pizza and junk food, right? What do you want to see is the foundation that you've given him around his relationship to food, right? Yeah. So thinking out, I think is going to help you decide what you want, what you want to have in place. And then it's about creating the little baby steps. The way I think about it is you're crossing a, a river and you need stones along the way to get across. There's no bridge, right? And so like, what's one step? What's one step? What's one step? Maybe it's just that he has to eat what everyone else has with the Chick-fil-A. 
Yeah. Right. And maybe you take the Chick-fil-A, you cut it in quarters. Everyone has a quarter of Chick-fil-A and everyone has everything else. Right. Or he gets half the Chick-fil-A and you cut the other piece in thirds because everyone's and then maybe you just say we're all going to eat the same. Right. And you just do different amounts so that he's putting it against his tongue and he's practicing. Right. And he's also it's but it's not just about the food. It's also practicing setting limits with him. How's this feel? This is hard news I'm delivering. <laughs> I, I think it's okay. I think it's doable. Check back in two months. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I always tell people when they're on the show, like email me and let me know how it goes. And certainly we can get back on and we can talk it through because that is real. Things are hard, yeah. right? And what do you do with the temper tantrum that comes? How do you hold the line when your kid is melting down and saying they absolutely won't? You hit upon something else I want to talk about. And like, okay. you hit upon, like when he goes away to college, right? Mm -hmm. And you want to set these good eating habits. Mm -hmm. So I have a, another family friend that was diagnosed while he was in college mm -hmm. his eating habits and his control for bolusing and everything when he eats he kind of guesses like this is where I feel like I'm at so this is what I'm going to give myself and he's had a lot of problems he's in his early 30s now and and he's had amputations and complications as a result of his diabetes not managing it properly yeah. and so like again it comes back to my fear like he needs to learn the discipline. Mom doesn't bullish you when you eat because sometimes he'll be eating Sour Patch Kids. Like, how many you had? I don't know. The bag. And then, where'd the Sour Patch Kids come from? And, you know, and then it's, it's mom's going to come and save you and bullish you. She's going to figure this out. And it's like, no, you need to learn. This is something you have and you need to learn because mom, like we joke, like mom's not going to be like coming to your house when you're married and doing stuff for you and your wife like that's not but that it, the difference between being diagnosed at six versus 19 but you could, he doesn't know any different jacob doesn't but we have to at least he's 11 now i know but i'm saying your friend who was diagnosed at 19 yeah versus jacob diagnosed at six i think jacob knows a lot more than your friend well did but he's learned he's an adult yeah let me let me um suggest have you guys ever been to diabetes camp we did um pre-covid twice yeah good family camp uh-huh the uh, spooktacular one the one in october good oh so you went to we one all of enjoyed short... it. yeah 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 we all enjoyed it uh-huh so i'm gonna suggest you keep doing that um, pretty regularly. Like if you can go every year, go every year. And if you can go to um, one of the longer camps, that's like a week long so that Jacob can start to make friends with people who have type one, that's going to be really important for him. Oh, it normalizes like, it. What? He's like a self-hating diabetic. <laughs> like we've tried to like introduce him like to kids and he's like, no, no. That could, like, yeah. It's, it's. Yeah, it's, that's normal. That's yeah. normal. So part of part of my reaction to what you're saying here, Wesley, is that this is normal behavior for a kid this age. This okay. is just really normal diabetes behavior. The reason I think camp is helpful is because often at camp, kids want to take the next step in their own management. So it's kids coming back from camp who are like, no, no, I've got it. I'm going to change my pump. No, no, I'm going to do my own something. Right. So camp will do that for them. So maybe actually sending him to camp on his own rather than family camp might be a good idea. Um, the reason family camp is helpful is because then it's sort of the family vacation. Like you're yeah. not sending your resistant kid off to do something he thinks he doesn't want to do. 
right? Um, but I think that camp kind of encourages people to look ahead because the counselors have diabetes because it's sort of in the zeitgeist there, right? So that they learn better what they need to do to take care of themselves. What you're describing for an 11 year old is completely normal. So that doesn't worry me at all. I just am so sad for you that you have so many type ones in your life who are so not healthy. Yeah. Right. Because the you They're have bad. A, <laughs> yeah, you have a legitimate like That's the fear. Yeah. Yeah, the fear. You, yeah, your fear comes from like legitimate um like proofs in the pudding kind of thing. Whereas like, you know, my father is perfectly healthy and fine. But that behavior, that like eating without dosing behavior is completely normal. And so that, again, think baby steps, think small stones across the river. Like think, uh, my son, who is an excellent diabetes manager, when he was in high school, the Omnipod used to have a, you didn't enter the number of carbs. You had to push an arrow to get to the number of carbs. Yeah, and he would have... make this joke. And he'd say the name of the food three times and then release. And that would be what he would dose. Like, oh. You know, that was how he counted his carbs when he was, you know, wow. 15 years old. So- <laughs> And he's a really good manager now. So I want you to remember that it's never one moment in time. Diabetes and the relationship to diabetes shifts and you don't wanna to be too heavy handed and you don't wanna to be too lenient. You wanna have a really beautiful blend of those things and keep your relationship with Jacob strong enough so you can keep talking about it. So that's the part about like shifting the food is I'd be doing it in a conversation with him. Hey, we're noticing this. This isn't good for anyone, you least of all. And so we need to change this up. So what do you think? What What do you think? Like, that doesn't mean you have to listen to everything he says and yeah. take it in and do what he says, but I would get his opinion. Like, what do you think about that? What do you think about like the fact that you don't eat these foods and you're eating something different and that we want to shift that up? Like, what do you think? Yeah. yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Good. I think we did uh, when he started middle school. Um, he had to go to the nurse's office still, mm -hmm. you know, in the beginning of the year. Um, and just, was it two months ago, we got doctor's orders where he can now be independent at school. Mm -hmm. I think that was a big shift in the positive direction mm -hmm. because now he, um, he hated going to the nurse's office and sure. well, then you better start counting your carbs at home. And we kind of started doing that. We're like, how much do you think this is? And um, and, you know, we said, we better start bolusing. Show me that you can bolus. And then we will talk to your doctor, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and we got that far that we got, we got That's to that. Great. Yeah. So baby steps, like you said, a little stepping stone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. That sounds like you handled it beautifully. Like you said, yeah, I want you to have the independence. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you can show me this skill set, then you're ready to fly with this piece. Right. Yeah. The other thing I want to name Wesley is that uh, if you look at average A1C by age group, it goes, it starts to go up pretty significantly in the teen and early 20s. Yeah, it's, it's just, right? Like the kids are not developmentally capable of doing this job, but they have more independence. And so the numbers are gonna be worse for a while. Is that, is that absolute? Um, no, is it most kids that I know? Yes. And do they many, most of the time start to get it in better control as they're in their, you know, early, a little bit later in their twenties? Yes. Um, so you can like that. I'm saying that. So you don't, um, get quite as anxious when you see a rise as he is, as you're transferring responsibility to him. 
You guys were so brave to come on. Thank you. How was it to be here with me? This was fun. Wow. Yeah, this, it was good. It was a conversation we needed to have, but I'm yes. glad you were here. <laughs> a little outside <laughs> mediation. Good. I think it was lovely to meet both of you. I'm quite serious that you're welcome back anytime or you can email me. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thanks again for listening today. If you want answers to your questions about parenting a kid with type one, I'd like to invite you to join our live recording sessions so you can ask your questions in person. Not only will you get the support you need and deserve, but through the podcast, you'll be helping other T1D parents to know that they're not alone with the challenges they're facing. To join one of my live recording sessions, simply go to www.diabetessweettalk.com and click the banner at the top of the page to register. Again, go to www.diabetessweettalk.com and click the banner at the top of the page to register.